Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. That's right. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Chua Tiantian with your market view. Now we'll deep dive into private equity or PE industry today. And according to a report by global law firm Deckard, PE deal values have almost halved from 1.2 trillion US dollars to just 685 billion US dollars between Q1 and Q3 this year, amid a global economic downturn and tightening monetary conditions. But even as the number remained above. Of pre-pandemic levels, the number of transactions also dropped by 18% year on year. So, question is, how concerned should we be about the industry's performance for 2022, and where are the bright spots? And separately, three of the most hyped Southeast Asian tech listings over the past year and a half had lost a combined market value of 51 billion US dollars since their debut so far. Can PE firms meet the needs of their investors by investing in such tech startups? Well. To help us address these budding questions, let's speak to Siu Kambun, co-head of Decades Global Private Equity Practice and partner in Decades Singapore office. Hi, Siu Kam, how are you? Hi, Tian Tian, I'm good. How are you? Good. I, I- Yeah. Thanks for having me. I've always looked forward to being on your show. Oh, thank you so much, and great to have you on board as well. So, to get us started, Sukam,、uh, appreciate if you could get us up to speed by sharing with us a little bit more about Decade, the work that you do, and also the survey methodology. Yeah, great. Well, hi to、uh, your listeners, our,、mm-hmm. our listeners.、Uh, Decade, we're a global law firm. We're almost 150 years old, 21 locations globally, and a thousand lawyers, and we focus a lot on. Private equity. We work with a majority of the private equity funds in one way or another. So this survey, the findings of which I'm really excited to talk about. Every year we go out and we talk to these senior private equity professionals.、Mm. They are all over the world, and they have to work for experienced funds with at least a billion dollars in AUM.、Mm. So、we survey them, we collate the results, and then we analyze them. Mm. So let's unpack the key findings from the survey, Siukam. Globally, PE deal values have almost halved to some 685 billion US dollars between Q1 and Q3 this year, as the industry adjusts to an increasingly tough climate for transactions. But I understand that deal activity continues to be above pre-pandemic levels. So, to what extent is the decline in deal value a cause for concern? Yeah, I guess the question is: Is one year indicative of another? Yes, right. right. That that clearly clearly cannot be the case because if we looked at the trends for the last few decades, that's not the case. And I mean, like last year, for example, was a bumper year in every which way. But this year, there's been a fall. But I guess what I'll say is this: Two years ago, our war chest, the private equity war chest, was 1.7 trillion US dollars. Last year was even more than that. We talked about last year being a bumper year, so we have accumulated a lot of money.、Right. The other thing is that money does not get deployed immediately. It takes four to five years to deploy money, right? And the decline in deal value is also a function of the revaluation of deal values of, of company valuations. So what we now have is a lot of money. Mm. And realistic valuations, and what we should anticipate for next year is, I think, more activity. Actually,、mm, right, right. And、uh, so, speaking of what's happening this year,、uh, just solely on this year so far, I'd like to take a look at the breakdown in global deal values. You come. So, your survey or the survey revealed that. 
a 60% drop in deal value, 17% fall in the number of buyouts within APEC. To what extent do you think APEC is an outlier? And, uh, well, why is APEC's performance as such, though? Yeah, I think we're quite in line with the world, although it's hard to do an apple-for-apple comparison in Asia. And the difficulty with Asia is that we're made up of a lot of different countries. Each country has its own different monetary policy, right? I mean, for example, we all know that interest rates are on the rise, but China, for example, has its interest rates going down to boost its economy. But I think that the reason why we have very skewed numbers in APAC is because of China. Mm. They have traditionally taken on a huge lion's share of the deal value, the deal volume by a mile. So China's dropped this year. That skewed the number. But if you looked at India, for example, they have increased 55, uh, 52% mm, this year right. by deal value. So it's hard to do that comparison for mm. that reason. So while it's hard to do the comparison from year to year, looking that it is uh, now Firms have a lot of, how do you call that, spag powder, gunpowder, and uh, also how to compare region by region, just looking at one year. But I, I do want to focus on the challenges uh, that startups face when it comes to fundraising, because PE fundraising, that has fallen significantly during 2022 um, by 30.6% going by the number of funds closed through Q3. So what are the major funding challenges for startups in APEC? How does this contrast uh, with the North America region, for instance? I would just start by saying fundraising generally and globally is really hard. You've been knocking a lot of do- on a lot of doors and you're going to get a lot of mm. rejections. And I think that that creates an impetus for entrepreneurs to, to fundraise. Sometimes disproportionately more time is utilized than that as compared to actually building the fundamentals of a business. But as it pertains to APAC, I think, one thing about APAC is that if you were to say set up a company or a startup in Singapore and say you were a, a, a Grab or a Gojek and you want to have your eyeballs or, or passengers, right, you're going to need to go outside of Singapore and grow in a number of different markets. And we just talked about how different markets are very different. That also means that they have different regulations, different markets, and Entrepreneurs are going to be spread really thin trying to figure all of these things out. Similarly, I think with fundraising, investors are going to have the same issue in trying to figure all of these out in different jurisdictions, figuring out the, um, what the future is going to look like. Hmm. Since we're talking about different regions and also talking about tech startups like, for instance, Grabber, Bloomberg reported that three of the most hyped Southeast Asian tech listings over the past one and a half years have lost a combined market value of 51 billion US dollars since their debut. Question is, uh, ROI via an IPO exit strategy, uh, using that, can firms actually meet the needs of their investors? Hmm. So I, I like to think, I know private equity really well. Right. And as a firm, we have been working on private equity deals even before they were called private equity. And private equity firms are very resilient. Even the top pension funds globally invest in private equity. And, you know, we got to safeguard our pension monies, right? So them in investing in funds like these, it's indicative. But what I would say is that we can look at these losses but what we really need to do is look at the aggregate returns from the winners as well. A lot of funds, VC funds, for example, right, their strategy is invest in 10 companies 
they know nine are gonna or eight if they're lucky mm. are gonna lose their money but that one superstar is gonna outstrip everything so that, that's what we got to be focused on actually hmm. so how will PE firms uh, new pipelines look like in the current climate then Oh, you're asking me for their secret sauce. (laughs) (laughs) How to find good deals. Well, actually, we were quite brave this year. We actually specifically asked the PE funds, what is their secret sauce? And the result came back, and I think it's quite technical. I don't want to bore our listeners and put them to sleep. But if I were to synthesize them, I think there is a common thread. And the common thread is creativity. Mm. They, They are very creative in deal sourcing. So they're going to places like executive training camps and uh, incubators, uh, locking deals in early. They're using very creative investment tools to, to deal with different financing needs of the portfolio companies because mm. they have that capability. And they're designing creative investment terms, and that's what we do at Deckard. Mm. Well, would you be able to share with us some uh, creative investment terms then? <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind well, me asking. <laughs> I, I, well, I can talk about it generically. Mm. Um, I mean, at the moment, there are definitely differences in valuation expectations, right? I mean, I think a lot of investors are looking to have valuations drop and sellers are trying to hold on to valuations of the past and they're just trying to hold on. And so one of the things we do is to create that uh, bridge to the mm. valuation gap, such as... Um, Earnouts, for example. The other thing is, if we're not sure about valuations right now, there are a bunch of convertible instruments. Uh, um, so you don't need to okay. price the round in, right? Yeah. And you can have a discount to the next round so once it gets priced. So you take a discount because you're taking a risk, but you don't have to take such a big hit if you're the company. Mm. And in the meantime, as you come, we've been talking about this quite a bit in our show, uh, rising interest rates on the horizon. How would it play a role in the deal-making environment for the next one to one and a half years? Mm. I think we need to do a bit of a 101 here. Mm. Private equity funds, they try to look for returns of 20% or more. Mm. And bank financing is cheaper. Say it's 5 to 10%. Right. So what private equity funds do would be to, to take loans at 5 to 10% and then make their 20% returns. That's how they make the money. But banks, you need to pay them sporadically, right? Whether that be monthly, quarterly, annually. But private equity funds will not be able to make their money until they exit, say, in four to five years' time. Hmm. So what we do is to invest in cash-generative businesses. So use that cash to repay the interest. Now, with the rising interest rates, the margin between the cost of financing and the cost of your baby to reach 20% and above becomes smaller. So how that's going to change the deal environment is that potentially financing is going to take, um, we're going to take lesser financing depending on the ability of the company to, to generate cash. And we'll need to go back to fundamentals and look at cash generative businesses, which are healthy. Mm, but that, that being said, more PE firms are still turning to private credit, isn't it? So what are the benefits and risks of using private credit then? Right. Um, so in the past, there's been more use of bank, traditional bank finance out here because bank finance is cheaper than private credit. But with the rising interest rates, 
that difference is becoming smaller. And banks operate in a highly regulated environment. Mm -hmm. So there are limitations as to what they can do, right? Private credit funds are, on the other hand, a lot more creative. So they can adapt to the quite complex and sophisticated deal environment and different deal dynamics. So that's why they've become a lot more well-used and, and I anticipate they will become even more well-used in the in the coming future. Mm. And uh, well, Sukam, very quickly before we let you go, we have about 30 seconds left. Is there anything that we might have missed in this discussion that you would like to bring up? Um, I guess something very close to my heart, something mm. that people are all talking about, right, which is about climate change. I think we need to look out for companies that focuses on alleviating climate change. So companies like Climatech or those that have a decarbonization um, focused effort. Hmm, all right. Thanks very much. That was Siu Kamboon, co-head of Decades uh, Global Private Equity Practice and partner in Decades Singapore office. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.